Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome to On The Bench. I've got my friends here, Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone, and we're recording on this New Year's Eve. Fellas, any big plans for New Year's? Nope. I got a bottle of George T. Stag that I'm going to polish off tonight. I was going to say maybe for for a big occasion, maybe you could open your first bottle of champagne tonight, Brendan. Do I do I saber it off? Is that what they call <laughs> no, it? No, no. When you said you were nervous about opening a bottle of champagne, I just assumed it had to be, oh, he must be nervous about sabering it because who would be nervous about just opening it? Well, the eye thing, you Google it. It's on YouTube. People pops back in their eye or their spouse's I eye. I it does. I got a dog. He already kind of has a wonky eye. I don't want to make it any more wonky. Mm-hmm. Okay. I understand. All right. Well, I'll be lucky if I can make it to midnight. I'm calling it. Who do you think will stay up the latest? I'm, I, I think I got maybe 1030 in me tonight. Chris, I'll, make, I'll make it to midnight, but there may be a nap preceding the making it to midnight. <laughs> we are We're so lost. When jo- Josh, when was the last time you stayed awake for – the ball dropping, mm. not the crystal ball dropping. It, you know, these. I really fell off, fell off the last like four or five years. I'd say for 10, 15 years, I'd go out all night, get bottles, go to the club, like do all that, and and I'll be the first to say none of that was memorable, and I don't miss it at all. So for a long time, I, you know, I had no problem, but I just have no interest in it. Um, and neither does my girlfriend, so I don't think she'll probably be asleep before I am. So I don't, it's probably been four or five years since I've stayed up till midnight, Brendan. I was legitimately asleep at 9 p.m. last night. So the, the whole midnight idea is awfully daunting. You're not, I thought you were getting I made prepared. it to the fourth quarter of that fine football game that was on the last evening. Oh, that wasn't that, wasn't that a thing of beauty? Did you catch Mullen's comments afterwards? What a. No, I, I don't listen I to Mullen. To. I just, I pass go, collect 200. Not doing it. I was going to go to sleep um, early. But once I knew that Florida was going to get 40 hung on them, I had to stay up and watch. And once they got that 50 hung on them, I couldn't go. I was giddy. I couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> I fell asleep in the fourth quarter. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. We got some stuff to cover. We're going to sort of use the show as a year in review. But first, we got to get over and cover some news and talk a little recruiting. Um, Chris, I'll throw it to you. On Tuesday night, FSU Hoops lost to Clemson 77-67. to What happened? Uh, well, first and foremost, Clemson's not a bad ball club. They're 7-1, and 1-1 one, one and one in the league. They're a very good defensive team, one of the better defensive teams in the league in the early season metrics. So I don't want to make it sound like FSU just dropped a game to a bad team. 
But FSU didn't play well again. For the second time in three games, they got romped in the second half. They got dominated as they did in the UCF game, their first loss of the season. You know, some of the big issues that kind of stood out, Raekwon Gray, Anthony Polite, and uh, Malik Osborne, three of your more important top six, seven guys, combined to go four for 20 from the field. That's not going to get it done. Uh, Scotty Barnes was good late, but kind of took a while to assert himself as that game was getting away from him. MJ Walker, double digits again. He's been continually a bright spot for them all year. You know, if you're looking at the stats and trying to figure out where FSU lost, well, Clemson got to the line, you know, for 24 more free throws than FSU. FSU was six for nine at the line, while Clemson was 24 for 33. Clemson drew 10 more fouls on FSU than FSU drew on them. Clemson also dominated the rebounding. I believe they had 18 offensive boards. Actually, it was 19 offensive boards, and they had a plus 14 advantage on the boards. FSU's mm-hmm. got a lot to figure out. Defensively, they're not near where they've been in past years. Leonard Hamilton even spoke after the game of potentially scrapping the defensive switch system, going to something a little different with this group just because they're not handling it very well. Interior-wise, after Balsa, it really falls off a cliff. They're not getting anything from Ingome. Quincy Ballard's not ready. They tried to move Malik Osborne out of that interior role. They're probably going to have to move him slightly more back in there. They've already moved them back in there to some degree during these games. But they just have things to figure out. They're not playing very good ball right now. Maybe it's just a rough stretch. Maybe it is who they are. Mm -hmm. I think that's still a little bit to be determined. They play Duke on Saturday at 8 p.m. at home on ESPN2, I believe it is. That that will be a pretty big litmus test. Duke hasn't really wanted to play defense this year. Duke also hasn't played in about two weeks because they quit playing their non-conference schedule and took holidays off. So it'll be Interesting to see what that team looks like. But it's important for FSU to come out and play a pretty good defensive game. That That's the first area where we need to see improvement. Yeah, no doubt. Are you – do you view this as Ham just trying to go through and find the right formula, find the right five, or is there some concern right now? No, they know who their five are. I mean, their five are their starters. And it's, it's you know, Anthony Polite, Scotty Barnes, MJ Walker, Raekwon Gray, Balsa, Copperviga. Those are their five best players. Copperviga, sorry. Those are their five best players. They know that. The important thing for FSU is they like to play, you know, eight to 12 deep. I think this team's going to be more to the eight than the 12. They need guys like Malik Osborne, Raekwon Evans, who had a great first half and a miserable second half against Clemson. A guy like Dar Calhoun to step up. A guy like Wyatt Wilkes to knock him down consistently. He did hit a few against Clemson, not knocking him for that performance. But he's been very, you know, up and down on the season. They need kind of the sum of all their parts to be better than they have. They haven't had a whole lot of games this year, even in the five wins, where you can just go, man, they had like six, seven guys play at a really high level. And that's what makes FSU a great basketball team usually is, one, they're going to they're going to out-effort you, which they've struggled at at times this year. Their energy has been a little wishy-washy, especially in these last three outings. And they're usually going to run a lot of depth at you, which other teams can't counter with. And then they also get big performances from two to three guys, with not three guys throwing in a good night. And they've kind of struggled to have that this year. The, you know, I think with defense improving, other things will kind of come along. But the defense has been pretty woeful, especially in the two losses. They, UCF and Clemson kind of took what they wanted in both of those games. And Clemson didn't shoot well in the night. Clemson was 23 for 63. But because they had so many second off, second chance points, they got to the line so much, it made up for the fact that they couldn't really hit a whole lot of shots, despite getting a lot of point-blank looks that they missed. 
right, thanks, Chris. We'll we'll stick with the hoops. Uh, when's the, when did you say the next game was? Duke Saturday night, eight p.m. Okay, thanks. In recruiting news, shifted over <clears throat> over the weekend. Florida State offensive line commitment Kimo Macanoli made a visit to LSU. Kimo was the lone holdout of FSU's commitments that did not sign during the early period. FSU signed 16 prospects during the early period and had one lone commitment that planned on signing in February. That was Kimo. Um, Kimo took a visit to LSU over the weekend, and on Monday he dropped a breakup note with Florida State on Twitter. Kimo McAnoli decommitted from the Seminoles after being committed for several months. Um, the, the writing was kind of on the wall when he did not sign with FSU in the early period. A lot of people like to consider some a recruit that doesn't sign an uncommitted prospect, and I think that's fair to a degree. Um, Kimo was in touch with the FSU staff all the way through. He did let them know that he was going to decommit. I don't think that came as a massive surprise to anybody at FSU, but nonetheless, it is a guy that they really liked. He's an in-state prospect from Niceville High School. And somebody that, you know, while he wasn't a premium guard, a uh, tackle type, he was a very qu- high-quality guard. Uh, Chris, you got to see him play. Does this surprise you? Did you see the writing on the wall as well? No, I mean, we sort of expected – I mean, I, I think we accepted with last cycle with the previous year that if you don't sign early, you know, it's not a good omen. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the case here with Chemo. Didn't surprise me. The timing did to some degree. I thought he might wait a little bit longer and flip a little bit later in the cycle. I thought it would be more of a true flip of, you know, I'm going from FSU to LSU with no in-between of decommitment and not committing to the other school. So that part surprised me to some degree, but the ultimate outcome did not. Okay. So where does FSU go from here? We've stated this on the podcast. We've talked about it at length on Knowles 24-7. I do not think that FSU is in desperate need for another interior offensive lineman. I don't think necessarily that they need to replace Chemo on the commit list or in the signing class. I don't think that they need to go out and necessarily find a guard in the, uh, in the transfer portal. I think they're okay at guard. I think they would have liked to have Chemo. I think he had a spot if he wanted it in their class, but at this point, with FSU's needs remaining, I don't think we see them sign another interior offensive lineman. Do you, Chris? No, I, I, I don't unless something comes along that's super appealing. If you want to talk about interior linemen, they have Bavion Johnson, Maurice Smith, who's viewed as a center, Dante Lucas, Zane Hearing, Devontae Love-Taylor, who can slide inside if they get a nut tackle, Brady Scott if he returns. Um, they also have Thomas, Thomas Schrader. Schrader. Yeah, Thomas Schrader, who they are very high on. Yeah. And then Darius Washington's another guy who could potentially slide in with a tackle addition and Ira Henry. And so they have Bryce and Estes what, coming in. Who they yeah, like. Right. And Estes coming in. So that's eight to nine bodies essentially that they have on the interior. So it's not a pressing need. It is a pressing need that they get a tackle, allowing them to slide two of those tackles we mm-hmm. just spoke about to the inside. If they do that, then it makes up. Right. So let's talk about a, an offensive tackle that's in the portal that Florida State does have some interest in. Charlotte 49ers offensive tackle Tykees Crawford put his name into the transfer portal on Tuesday. He's a former four-star prospect that had been committed to Arkansas, didn't necessarily have grades coming out, and ended up um, decommitting from Arkansas when Chad Morris got fired, and somehow he ends up signing with Charlotte. Um, Six foot five, 330 pounds. He did have power five offers coming out. Like I said, he was committed to Arkansas for a while. 
I talked to Tykees Crawford yesterday. He sounded completely overwhelmed, and I can understand why. Um, Brendan, you've been watching the portal this whole time. Is Tykees Crawford the best offensive tackle prospect to hit the portal in the last two months? In terms of upside, probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a true freshman who got some starting experience at the G5 level, as you yeah, mentioned, Josh. That. Um, he only played one year so far, so he has four yes. years of eligibility remaining, which makes his value even more, even higher. Exactly. I think so in terms of, you know, if it's someone who, who is a supplementary piece for the next few years that you want to build with, because uh, he is still pretty raw, but he has the size to be a tackle, which is important. I think right now FSU – isn't going heavily on any offensive lineman prospects in the portal because they're mostly interior guys like Chris laid out with, with chemo. Uh, it's not a huge need for FSU to need tackles. So yeah, I think this is one of the first tackle prospects who, who kind of got FSU's eyebrows up to where they're like, Ooh, Hey, what's, what's going on here. And if you're taking him, you're taking two most likely in the sense of portal guys, you're taking one who's ready made plug in, play him now. And you're taking this guy who is probably a little bit more developmental may be able to help you within the next season, but not at the kickoff of next season. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, but nonetheless, he's has been getting bombarded. Um, he told me his phone hadn't stopped ringing. I talked to him about 24 hours after he'd entered the portal, and he said he heard from Arkansas, Baylor, Arizona State, Kansas State, Kansas, Coastal Carolina, Florida, Virginia Tech, Florida State, Louisville, and had messages to return and phone calls to make to Penn State, Oklahoma, and Alabama that night, yesterday, last night. Um, I know everybody's saying, well, this should be a shoe, and Alex Atkins coached at Charlotte last year. He was the offensive line coach, and he probably signed Tykees Crawford, right? Well, that's what I thought too, but it's wrong. I talked to Tykees Crawford, and he told me that he only has a relationship with Lee Grimes when he was at Charlotte. I said, what? He goes, yeah, I never met Alex Atkins, never even talked to him until last night. I said, oh, so you talked to him last night? He's like, yeah, he called me, um, and I spoke to him as soon as I hit the portal. But he was acting like, and I mean, I don't have any reason not to believe him, but that was literally the first time that he met Coach Atkins, and I thought that was really strange. Um, he told me that Lee Grimes recruited him. Lee Grimes is now at Kansas and the offensive line coach at Kansas. Um, but he, you know, he was open to hearing from Atkins and listening. I just thought that there would be a built-in relationship there. Were you guys kind of surprised to hear that as well? Well, he was a late qualifier guy, wasn't he? I, if I recall correctly, his recruitment was hot and heavy with bigger name schools, but because of his academic status, that's what kind of knocked right. him down a notch. Mm -hmm. so not entirely with the fact that Atkins was hired away. Yeah. Yeah. I thought there'd be some overlap, like maybe a, a month or two of recruitment, but I wasn't expecting that to be a, a dot that a lot of people would connect, but everyone's looking to connect a dot in the transfer portal. It's pretty amazing. If anyone, I think, ever you need talked, to, I think when right. it comes to prospects like this, Florida state coming off a three win team, they need a connection to get yeah. a, to get somebody like this. And sure, but Josh, people are manu more so like fans are manufacturing connections. Like if someone once was on a connecting flight with Mike Norvell, they're like, "Oh, maybe uh, yeah. maybe this guy could be of interest." Like no, FSU's not going to go after a backup defensive tackle with with five career tackles. Like that's just not Right. I know I know they're hard up in some areas, but but not that desperate. I think Crawford for me just a general view that's interesting with the transfer portal dynamics is that Crawford's a kid who threw his name in there with no idea where he was going and as you mentioned he felt overwhelmed or seemed overwhelmed. I think it's interesting viewing that some guys do the behind the scenes before I enter the portal communication type stuff 
and it's different. And I think people think, oh, you know, schools that are trying to pursue a kid who's not yet technically in the portal, but intends mm-hmm. to enter the portal as kind of a grimy thing. In reality, for some kids, it's actually a great way of handling it because you enter that thing with a known solution to your destination and it's a much easier process. So just kind of a broader view of the whole transfer portal dynamic that we're dealing with here in year two. Yeah, no, it's fascinating what teams are doing right now. I talked to somebody that's would be considered like a uh, street agent. And he told me that the top programs in the country have full on scouting departments where they're identifying the best G5 players in America, just regardless of, you know, just the best players in G5 period. And these big time schools are contacting the person I talked to. And then he goes and he reaches out to the prospect or the player at this small school and says, Hey, so-and-so is interested in you. Would you be interested? And that's, that's where the actual transfer portal is going right now is they're just putting out the feelers. So like you said, it is kind of rare for somebody to hit the portal that has no clue where he wants to go. That's this highly valued. Um, That being said, after speaking to Crawford for over five minutes yesterday, I do not feel like FSU has a good shot at landing him. Um, Just the fact that he wasn't in any contact with Alex Atkins prior to last night or Tuesday night. Um, I also asked him um, because he's got offers from, or he's got interest from Florida and Florida state. And I asked him if he would be interested in either of those schools. And he just came, gave me a very generic, you know, both are great schools, I don't know a whole lot about either program and I've got to learn more. Well, guess what? He's making his decision in like four or five, six days. And he's got every coach in America calling him. He's not going to sit down and learn about Florida state in Florida. Um, he, he, he's originally from Texas. I asked him if location's a big issue. He said, not really, but I'd, I'd like to get at least a little bit closer to home. Um, I think the schools in, in the state of Texas are going to have a great shot. I think Arkansas is going to have a great shot. I know he has a good relationship with Lee Grimes at Kansas. I don't, I, I don't know how good of a relationship it, if it'll get Kansas in the door there, but um, I'm not feeling too optimistic on Crawford right now. So I think FSU is going to have to uh, identify some other prospects in the portal. Do we have anything else we want to get to news and notes wise before we hit the year in review? That's a definite no. Okay. Well, make sure before we get into our year in review that we give a shout out to our guys at Market Square Liquor. Brendan, they've served you very well this year, haven't they? I love Market Square Liquors. Yeah, it's uh, it's the best place in Tallahassee if you need to pick up any type of alcoholic beverage because they have a wide selection, a very knowledgeable and friendly staff. And, uh, and they also have the lounge right next door that you can just walk into while you're – say you want to buy a, a bourbon, a bottle of bourbon. You're like, you know what, I want to try this first. Well, guess what? You can go right next door. You don't even have to even leave. They're connected. You don't even have to walk out the door. Uh, the lounge next door has an amazing bourbon selection. So Market Square Liquors in the lounge are fantastic. They've been great sponsors for us for this uh, last few months. Really appreciate having them. Appreciate you guys supporting them. Uh, if you're listening to this here on New Year's Eve, go – Buy a bottle of champagne. They have a great champagne selection there, too. It's not too late. Go ahead. Buy it now. Pop them bottles. You know what's up. I'm going to send you a case so you can just pra- of champagne so you can just practice opening them. <laughs> start, start torpedoing it at the wall. Market okay. Square Laker. Put that on my tab, please. Send it to Brandon. <laughs> All right. This is going to be fun. It's a year in review, but we're going to do the year in review just in superlatives. So we're going to recap 
all of 2020 in like a superlative way. It'll be fun. Let's get right into it. All right. First question for you guys. What did you learn about this team in 2020? Football specific? Yeah, let's keep it to football. This is on the bench and Noel's 24-7 football podcast. And we gave you the hoops at the beginning. Yeah, so don't get go. greedy, Chris. Jesus. Hey, hey, I'm just saying. If we're He's trying have to be good moments. I could talk about that basketball from last year. I appreciate Chris just trying to be positive on the pod. He was trying to find a positive angle. But go ahead, Chris. I mean, for football, oh, it's that it's a program completely in transition. It's a rebuild. I mean, I accepted that very early in this season, and I think the fact that we're going to see a roster that's going to be you know, four-fifths new players, essentially, in the Mike Norvell and here in a few months speaks to that. So, there you go. I had something similar as Chris, that the purge was much needed. It was something that Willie Taggart wasn't able to do partially uh, because of, of some of the academic restrictions. But also, I don't think Willie Taggart really was kind of the guy to turn things over quickly. Uh, Mike Norvell seems a little bit more blunt in that regard and – and letting some guys go and, and others obviously going on their own uh, decisions too. Uh, so, yeah, I think that roster turnover that Chris alluded to was really important and that had to happen for FSU to have a chance to kind of get out of this very toxic roster makeup that it's had for the last three or four seasons now. Yeah. I, I think um, – what did you learn about this team in 2020? I, I learned that the team is very far from matching the coaching staff's energy, passion, um, this team, the 2020 team, I'm not saying that the team moving forward will be, but this team here, you know, when I saw this staff hit the ground running and their energy and the things that they were saying, there's just a lag, right? There's a lag between the coaches' energy and their focus and their passion compared to the players, at least in 2020. There was. So I think I learned that in 2020. All right. This is a toughie. Did FSU meet your overall expectations for them this season? No, no. I mean, I think we all thought that FSU would have some struggles on the field that mm-hmm. there were going to be issues, but I don't think any of us quite understood what the the pandemic and the lack of time with this coaching staff to one, get to build a relationship with current players and build trust with them. And then two, be able to kind of in, instill, install its, its beliefs and scheme. I don't think any of us knew it was going to have quite that much of an impact. So going into the year, you're thinking FSU could win six games or so, maybe Seven optimistically, but between five and seven, they end up winning what three? Uh, yeah, so so certainly felt short of expectations and right. Yeah, definitely definitely didn't meet expectations in my my opinion. Yeah, it's a no for me too. Um, you know, optimistic view of wins versus losses. Obviously, they weren't going to come close to that. Adjusted very quickly after the Georgia Tech game, but for me, the bigger thing is that I expected defense not to be hot garbage, and it was still hot garbage. I agree with a lot of those things did not live up to expectations for me. Um, I go back to effort, um, seeing what these guys said and did in the off season, the way that they, you know, carried themselves on social media, the confidence in which they thought that they were going to come out on the field. And we were talking about week in week out, which guys were quitting the team. And these weren't just guys. These were team leaders. Um, spending half the week preparing for the next matchup and spending half the week thinking if they want to even play. It's crazy to me um, that that was what was happening in 2020, guys deciding if they wanted to play or not. So never in a million years did I expect that to happen. Biggest surprise and disappointment on the field this season. So 
Let's just go around first with our biggest surprise this season. Like a pleasant surprise, just to clarify. Yeah, like a pleasant okay. surprise. Like, here, I'll start. I learned that Jordan Travis can throw a football. Because yes. last year we were told all season I mean, that he cannot. It's just not even an option that he can throw a football. So, to my surprise, we saw Jordan Travis chucking it around all year. Mine would be Robert Scott's ability to step in and play at a decently high level and, more than anything, handled the downs very well. When he struggled – he didn't let it turn into a waterfall effect where it kept bugging him in games. He competed his ass off and played really hard all year, and that's a real bright spot on a group, an offensive line that hasn't been very good in several years. I had Robert Scott as well. To ha <laughs> we didn't We didn't rehearse any of this. People are going to find out just how uh, – We didn't? No, no. Uh, Chris and I think uh, quite alike, unfortunately, for better or worse. Right, Chris? Right. No, nah, don't want me in with you completely. It's going to be a lot of it's going to be a lot of spillover in the way we view this team. But Robert Scott was named to a freshman All American team by twenty four seven Sports. Well deserved. He was really good at right tackle. Was someone in the surprise category? Like, I, remember Josh? We didn't think he was necessarily going to be a big time contributor at the start of the year. FSU staff, I don't think, mm-hmm. was even all that sure. So Robert Scott, a pleasant surprise and kind of more macro. Alex Atkins was a really pleasant, nice surprise for Florida State. I thought he was a Definitely. good coach. Uh, but him, what he did on the field, what he's doing as a recruiter, I, I think that's a big-time asset for, for the Seminoles. Okay. Biggest disappointment on the field this season. I'll let Snone go first so I don't steal his. Mine is the, let's see, the top five of our 40 most important player list. Sorry, top, the top six. Marvin Wilson was number one. James Blackman was number two. Oof. Chris will mention that he had him at number 10 on his list. Good job, Damn Chris. Right. <laughs> Tamori and Terry, number three. Devontae Love-Taylor, who was good, but he got hurt at the end of the year, number four. Asante Samuel, who Josh had like in the 20s for some crazy reason, was the only one who really lived up to expectations. And then uh, finally, uh, Joshua Kando, who had all the preseason hype in the world, and uh, and he leaves the season without a sack and ends his FSU career with just two sacks against the Power 5 opponents. So that, that the top end of the roster, what we believed, all guys mm-hmm. who were starters, all guys who potential to be captains, uh, most of them don't even finish the season with the team. And that's that's something. My biggest disappointment is that in the preseason, we heard we had a good defense, and then they rolled out there and they weren't any good. And it especially is focused upon the defensive line, which was fairly worthless, yeah. and had guys returning who were experienced. My biggest disappointment on the field would be – Tamori and Terry and Marvin Wilson, because at the time I tweeted, they both announced on the same day that they were coming back. And I tweeted that this was the equivalent of Mike Norvell getting two five-star commitments. Boy, was I wrong. And then you promptly tried to trade them to Penn state for, uh, which would have been potato chips, the best, no, uh, a developmental offensive tackle and a running back. You probably could have gotten a lot more. Is all two, I'm saying. two tackles and a running back. You, anyway. You, you still them at their highest for too low. <clears throat> the biggest uh, – oh, where are we? The most okay. rock-bottom moment. Yeah, the year, most – okay. The Brendan Stanone category. Yeah, this is for Brendan. What <laughs> was the real rock-bottom? <laughs> Brendan wrote three rock-bottom stories. No, and probably four of the year before. So tell us, Brendan, what was <laughs> the most rock-bottom moment of this year? I'm going to stick with the original rock bottom column, the only one that was actually published, and that was the loss at Miami. Uh, that basically ended the James Blackman experiment. 
right? So, so that yeah. ended that and forced you to kind of reevaluate everything and start kind of building up a little bit what the offense could be. And FSU ends up winning three games after that. So that and Norvell kind of out with Corona doing yep. coaching from the sideline. Uh, FSU came out in the three three five defense, which I didn't think was a terrible idea, but it, it was. It, 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 because because the four three was going to work much better against it, right? Uh, well, be who it, you are. Don't try to be. <laughs> it was just bad all the way around. To me, that was the low point of a pretty low season for Florida State. Go ahead, yeah. Josh. I'm still calculating over here. And I'm I don't try, know if anyone I'm knew just this, but the rock bottom was because the rock in Miami's kind of like, do you smell what the? Again, I think rock bottom is rock bottom was the embarrassment of watching FSU's top players quit the team one by one throughout the season. Well, you have to pick which, which one was the one you're like, damn, that's, that's the toughest. That's the most brutal quit or uh, departure. Well, was just it that week? hearing was it, the things that like Marvin Wilson said before the season and, and, and the hype surrounding his return to Florida State and to see him just, you know, opt out. He didn't officially opt out, but he Whatever. did stop playing around the same exact time that James Blackman opted out and Tamori and Terry opted yeah, out. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Oh, that was that, that one fell swoop. It's just an embarrassment. I mean, to think that this is Florida State and you got guys that don't even want to finish the season, it's embarrassing. That's rock bottom for me. Okay. Just never in a million years would I think this would be happening. Miami was a low moment, um, but I don't want to be the same as Sinone here. So <laughs> I'm going to go with it from a recruiting perspective and go the combination of Jennings and Altmyer's decommitments. Gotcha. Two highly rated guys in a class, two important positions in a class, one of whom was a legacy, both dropping off the class. It just wasn't a good look, wasn't a good moment. They've done a good job of addressing one of those with Mackenzie Milton coming in, replacing Altmyer essentially in the sense of one for one at the position. So, you know, that's a positive turn on that. But in general, in the moment of those happening, the reaction of the message board, the fan base, the general feeling it kind of emanated from it, mm -hmm. I would go with those. Can't argue with that. All right, let's swing it back. Positive. Who had a breakout season? Jay Trav. Do you think – do you think – Yes, he – dude, you said like 10 minutes ago you didn't even know if he could throw the football. I know, but to me it's kind of like fool's gold because he's – like you can call it a breakout season, but he's if, – if that's the future, if that's what you're hanging uh, your hat on, heading – That's not what I'm saying. No. He's, Josh is getting real deep with the question instead of going <laughs> with what we just saw. And what we just saw is Jordan Travis. They produced, I think it was ballpark 32 points per game, essentially when he was there, yeah. present, healthy. So, yeah, it would be Jay Trab. I also liked Alex Mastromano. He Wait, was Chris, did you agree with me again? No, I'm going with Alex Mastromano, <laughs> who was a little up and down during the year, but I think will be a very good player. <laughs> this is a sad year in review. I mean, it's tough. There's not a whole lot of bright spots. But my point for saying with, with Jay Trab is, one, Josh, as you said, we didn't even know if he could be a functioning Power 5 quarterback at the start of the year. They show that they can work with that. Uh, two, I don't think he's the future at quarterback, at least for this season. But what I do think is he just establishes himself as someone who's going to be integrated into the game plan every single week next year or next uh, next season. So he's someone who you're going to say, we can give him 10, 15 snaps a game and he can be a, a, a game changer potentially. There's That's valuable. It's not, again, it was a three and what, six football team or kind of slim pickings. Yeah, I would go with Robert Scott or Lawrence Toa Philly. I know both are true freshmen, so it's easy to say that they broke out. 
Um, but having seen Lawrence Toffoli and known him since like 10th grade, I, you know, I was kind of skeptical on whether or not he was going to be physically ready uh, because he comes from Pinellas County where they don't really have a whole lot of off-season workout plans and, and things going on. He wasn't a very bulky type prospect coming out of high school, just raw and had a lot of speed. But you throw some pads on him, he looked great out there. We already talked about Robert Scott. I don't need to get back into that. Um, all right, moving on. This is fun. Who was the best portal addition? Also, was the portal boom or bust for FSU in 2020? So we can kind of just kind of talk about the portal. Devontae Love Taylor was the best addition. He was an all-year starter until he got hurt on the offensive line. And he helped, and he was there was a minute. That, oh, well, yeah, I was going to say the portal. Ladamian Webb wasn't a portal guy. He was JUCO. There was a minute where Ladamian Webb was almost the best transfer, but that fizzled out quickly. They had nine transfers, technically eight, because Cornell Jones never really existed in our world. Mm-hmm. So out of those eight, you know, four played a lot. Love Taylor, Love it, Jones, Corbin. Of those four, how many of those four played well? Uh, I'd say two, three. Th- two or three. I, I'd love it was good in his moments. Corbin was very good at what <sighs> they're asking him to be, and he was a good leader. He wasn't the best running back in the room, but he was a guy they were confident in putting out there, and he was successful when they put him in certain situations. I would say he's a good one. Um, Jones didn't have a good year, obviously. And then, you know, Wilson's hurt. Dotson barely played because of injury. Deontay mm-hmm. Williams was eh. And uh, Jarrett Jackson, I don't think he ever actually took a snap this year. So I don't know if it's boom or bust. I, I think it's still a bit to be determined because some of those guys are going to be back next year. Yeah. Well, I think by portal standards, by expectations, it's probably a bust. You know, when you think about hitting the portal and getting seven guys, I don't think that you feel like you got production. Out. I'll say two and a half. I mean, you can, you can say three. Fabian Lovett was okay. I don't think he was – Somebody had to play defensive tackle. It's not like anybody was there making plays. So um, I'll give you two and a half. But, yeah, I'd probably go with bust. I don't think you go into the portal to get eight guys and have two and a half of them contribute. What should be the portal hit rate? Like when I think of Juco, I usually think 50%. 50-50. You think it's 50-50? I think it should be 50-50. It needs to be higher. Yeah, at least 50-50, right. I was going to say about 65-35. But, but to and the better teams hit on better percentages, like, uh, you know, the, the teams that get the better transfers. Look at the Florida Gator transfers. I disagree, though, with you, Josh, that it's like two and a half. Like, I don't know. I, I think that they got – I agree with Chris. One, Devontae Love Taylor was going to be the top portal guy for me. I mean, you got him. You got him back for another season, too. Mm-hmm. That's a win. Jay Sean Corbin – uh, wasn't as electric as I think we were hoping still coming off the injury, but like by the end of the year, like he carved out like a nice space in that wildcat role. He's going to be someone you can be dependable and, and relying on. Next yeah. Year. I'm not arguing those two. Uh, I, I thought maybe love it played well. His metrics were, were fine. Like he's going to, and again, he's a sophomore. Jerry Jones is a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan Wilson, you get back for another year after the injury. Miko Dotson. I know he didn't play. You're gonna get him back for another season. Yeah. And I was just talking 2020 though. Okay. I, I some of these are some of these are. There's still some value. Players. I get it. There's still yeah. some value in Love It. There's still maybe some value in Jerry and Jones. Maybe uh, yeah. Nico Dotson returns for a year, so we're going to get a little bit more value out of him. And we'll see with Jerry and Jones. I don't know if he was 100 percent. And Jordan Wilson. Um, Deontay Williams is the only one that was a pure like 100 percent bust. Like that was a position of need, and they got nothing out of him, and and that was mm-hmm. a toughie. That was the only one I would say was with bad luck notwithstanding, like that was the one that was kind of a wasted scholarship and spot for them. 
All right. Feel like we did pretty good there. Who I don't know how to say this without cussing. Who needs to shit or get off the pot in 2021? What prospect? What prospect needs to? Here's a good one. Put up or shut up in 2021. <laughs> who who's it time for? I have the blue chips of Tribe 19. So that's collectively Dante Lucas, Akeem Dent, Jaleel McRae, Brendan Gant, Travis J, Quayshon Fuller, Kalen Deloach, Raymond Woody, and Curtis Fan. Those are all the four stars. Of those guys, who are the ones that you feel optimistic about moving into 2021? Uh, Travis J and Brendan Gant, maybe? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's supremely important. I, I was going to pick Dante Lucas. I think it's supremely important that the first two guys you mentioned perform at the level that's expected of them. Dante, because they've shown that they're in his corner, they're going to go with him. He needs to kind of be reciprocal on that, pay it back. He needs to be a high-level guard. He needs to play more like he did a year ago than he did this past year. And he needs to cut down damn stupid penalties, plain and simple. And then Akeem Dent's a guy who needs to flush this past year, truthfully flush most of the first two years, get back to his craft, be the player he's capable of being. There's a reason Akeem Dent was recruited at the level he was recruited. He is capable of being a very high-level defensive back. He needs to get back to it and compete because they need somebody to step in at that cornerback spot this coming season with Asante Samuel Jr. exiting stage left. Gosh, you noticing what's happening? Chris pretty much said the first two guys I had on my list were his list. So well, I, slightly I formulated my list before you read your list. So therefore I had, that, I, I don't have a point, list. I have one guy. I have, I have, um, I have a keen dent and I think a keen dent would be because of what you said. And I know you know, the way you say he needs to get back to that, that form of why he was a five-star. Well, he's had two horrific years. You come out next year and you, you stumble out of the gates. you got to remember, like, these are, these are human beings and there's confidence involved. And, and after two full years of getting smoked at corner, you can't, you know, you go out and you have a bad game or something. It could, it could roll downhill fast. So I think Akeem Dent, all the talent in the world, all the physical capabilities in the world just hasn't put it together yet, and I'm, I'm a little nervous there. Um, the other one I would go with would probably be Kalen Deloach, only because, you know, you get into a dicey situation where he was the young guy that was supposed to come in and fix some of these linebacker issues, and now there's young guys coming in even behind him that are pressuring him, and he might get lost in the wash at that point. I thought one of you might pick Jordan Young. I was surprised that wasn't thrown out there. I figured that would be you. Or Brendan. No, I learned my lesson in picking receivers with Warren Thompson. I'm I'm done picking that position. We're not they're they're dead to me for now. Oh, Let's go transfer market. I don't know how to I don't know how to okay. gosh, just keep us going here. I don't know. How Next season will be better or worse than twenty twenty. It can't be much worse. We right? said oh, that yeah. after twenty nineteen. Oh, the whole year I won't be walking out the door to a canceled game next season. Okay. So therefore that alone will make it slightly better. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll have to be a little bit better. I also think in all seriousness that there is reason to be optimistic about what this coaching staff did. I know we'll get into that a little bit too, but Mike Norvell, I think, is a very good game manager and strategist going into the week with him having time to kind of bring in his guys have guys who actually want to come play for him I think that brings up the base the floor of this program even even just so slightly I don't know if it's gonna be enough uh, but I think that's good for at least another win or so my concern with next year is they open with Notre Dame at home and while Notre Dame will be missing many of the pieces that have them in the playoffs this year they're still going to be the much better of the two teams 
and they're still going to be very physical in the trenches. So that just instantly causes concern for me for FSU taking a major confidence hit out of the gate potentially. I think think FSU will be better. I think so too, Josh. Why do you think that? Just because I'm trying to be positive. Okay. (laughs) I appreciate it. I do think the Notre Dame game, I'm getting way ahead of ourselves here, but unlike last few years when they lost that opener and they were expecting to win it, I don't think it maybe stings quite as much. They're playing with house money. Uh, so I'm not quite as concerned yeah, about that. There's always just saying we're used to losing. There's yeah. always so much bullshit build up to the first one. And sometimes that creates an atmosphere that is not authentic. And that causes a bounce back effect afterwards. That's a negative. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I think they'll be better more so than anything. Cause I think they know who their roster is, who they can trust, what they can go with, what they can do. Mm-hmm. I think that makes game planning easier. And it's sort of, you know, these are the ride-or-die folks. They're not dealing with a roster in transition much anymore. They transitioned it. Okay, so after Warren Thompson and Mike Norville patch things up again, Chris, I don't want you buying into if the hype happens, in August. If that happens, I'm taking a year-long sabbatical <laughs> from doing the podcast. When Mike Norvell hops on Zoom and tells us how much Warren Thompson's dominated <laughs> – what are you going to do, Chris, if Warren Thompson takes his name out of the portal and returns to Florida State? That's what I'm saying. They're going to patch it up. Don't oh, uh, no, I, I, I hate you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. Um, okay, what did you see this year to give you hope in 2021? Uh, that was the thing I was trying to not get ahead of myself with. I think it, we can all say the coaching staff, right? The there's not much on the field yeah. that we saw. But yeah, 2021 – our hope lies within this coaching staff. And there's still things they have to prove on the recruiting trail very much so. I think some of the, yeah. the portal usage gives you optimism, but there's still things to to hammer out. And obviously we'll see what they do if they win more games. That makes it a lot easier to recruit at a higher level. So there's still TBD there. But, yeah, the two aspects of the coaching staff that, that I thought were really positive were uh, the run game, the development of an actual run game, and then the special teams play generally throughout the whole season. I know it mm-hmm. trailed off some at the end, but so did depth, and, and that makes sense. Uh, those are two things that Mike Norvell did extremely well at Memphis, run the football, special teams. So for both of those to carry over in year one, I think is an encouraging sign of like what, what his, he can do to put his fingerprints on, on this program. Football begins in the trenches. I have optimism on the offensive side of ball with Alex Atkins managing that group and that group improving as far as personnel, especially if they're able to land a transfer kid or two at tackle. So I feel good about the line. I don't, I don't have a ton of confidence on the defensive side of ball. That's not to say I don't have, a belief that it can be better. I just don't – there's no reason for me to have confidence based off of 2020. Okay. Last two superlatives in our year in review. Favorite Zoom press conference moment of the year? <laughs> Had a lot of these Zoom press conferences so far. It's weird it the last two questions that you sent – and. Trying to think back, Josh, it seems like three different years in one. Like, it's all so convoluted and, and weird. Um, I have, I'll, I'll be self, uh, self-obsessed here and say derailing a few of the press conferences myself with my awkwardness was kind of fun in hindsight. Making Mike Norvell do an eyebrow raise that became a gif. Uh, Adam Fuller uh, kind of got him to play along with my neuroses where I stumbled on a question and then had, like, another question. And then he's just shaking his head and nodding his head and – uh, and I made Kendo laugh very jollily too uh, early in the year. That's when we were all still happy. So that, that would be me bringing my little uh, hijinks to the Zoom call was was fun. 
how do I pick just one from being turned into a stenographer? It's so tough. Um, I think my favorite moment was the last one because we were done with Zoom and hopefully we're done with that eternally because I hate Zoom. Uh, I can't wait. I've never been on, this is my first year in 10 years actually have, having access to post-practice and post-game interviews because I'm not in Tallahassee. So it was interesting from my perspective. Um, what was it? The best moment of the year? Probably watching my boy Perry. What's Perry's last name? I can't uh, pronounce it. It's very yeah, Greek. It begins with K. Yeah. Yeah. He works for Tomahawk Pear, Pear Bear is what I used to call him when he was at the uh, – Perry's decline the into the Zoom press conference abyss was great. Like when he started – and shout out to Perry. I think he did a great job. Big fan. Um, but when he started, boy, he was on point. He was looking good. But it really deteriorated. I love watching him deteriorate as the as the Zoom calls went on. It was great. <laughs> Josh does re- legitimately really enjoy Perry's line of questioning because it, it's a little like out of left field, but it oftentimes would evoke some of the best answers. Some of the, of we got some of the best answers yeah. from Perry. Yep, and that's usually how it is too. Like there's the formulate cookie cutter questions that need to be asked, that have to be asked, but but Josh doesn't live in that realm. He likes a little bit of spice in his life and Perry – Perry offered it up. Uh, at a we might have level. to bring back um, Meet, meet the, the Beat. Because we, never, we guys, never interviewed Perry. You invoked a great moment in my head. The Clemson, after the Clemson crap, with Norvell yeah. essentially throwing shade, but doing it in a very good manner, like handling himself very well. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was probably my favorite press conference of the whole year, truthfully. Yeah, he, he was when, dancing in the ring. Yeah, he, he, he threw a couple jabs and a couple uppercuts, but he was, you know – Making sure he landed his shots, basically. Yeah, good. definitely. I appreciate well, that's that. that's a superlative. What, what was the biggest the biggest beef of the year? Was it Mike Norvell versus uh, Oh Mike Norvell Dabo? versus Dabo, or was it Marvin Wilson versus Mike Norvell? Oh, then I don't want to get into that quite as much. Or uh, Warren Thompson versus versus Mike Norvell. Norvell. Or was it DJ Matthews versus Mike Norvell? Or was it Corey Durden versus the FSU fan base? Which was <laughs> Corey Durden versus Twitter? He's still and he's still going too, apparently, unfortunately for him. Somebody take the batteries out of his phone. All right, let's go. Favorite. This is the last one. Favorite on the bench moment of the year. Hmm. <laughs> that was the gift that kept giving. It happened not that long ago, too. Uh, it showed how Chris has evolved into having fun on the podcast. I think that's really cool. Uh, it was perfect setup for me being clunky and awkward, and it's something that's you know, we it's a gift that keeps giving. You guys sharing all of your medical downfalls. I'm the healthiest one here. It's probably my personal favorite. Josh with the Red River shootout. That was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I've had some trials and tribulations this Ooh, year. Josh has had a year. Let's go over all of Josh's no, medical stuff over not. there. Let's uh, do that. That'll be a podcast in and of itself. He thought he tore his calf. No, I thought I tore my or his Achilles, Achilles tendon. Right. But I did strain my calf, which ended up into my back. You know, I have these disc herniations in my back, that fired up. Uh, I was peeing blood there for a minute back in, like, April. I I had a lot of issues this year, but I made it. I'm good. I never missed a podcast. What are you laughing at? Uh, yeah, I never missed a podcast. I got here halfway through one, but I never <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to know what I'm laughing at, John. I only boycotted one. The only – the only podcast oh, yeah, I missed was right. the one that I refused to come on. Yep. Which was out of good yep. principle. Uh, yeah, no, it's fine. 
whatever. Just leave me out there to do all the dirty work. Uh, let's see. There's some other like cool podcast moments. Again, it's such been such a long, weird year. But remember, we had all the coaches on the podcast at the beginning of the year. Yep, was that, was that was very that was fun. Kenny the, Dillingham was one of my favorites. Kenny was fun. I got to ask him about Harry Potter, uh, which was which was nice. Chris Thompson was great. Alex Atkins was fun. And I enjoyed Papooches. I know a lot of people weren't like super fired up about Papooches, but I thought he was really he was surprising, uh, en- yeah. enlightening and, and honest and truthful about his career. And that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the Meet the Beat series was really fun too. That was us like making chicken salad out of you know what. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. Like we had Tom D'Angelo completely forget that he was still uh, still on the Zoom call at the end of it. I don't and- think he knows how to end a Zoom call. That's why it was funny because we were saying how he's adapted over the years as a as an older sports reporter. And then he butchers it at the end, and that was hilarious. So we had a lot Mike of fun. Alfred was a good one too. Oh yeah, that was a good one. Getting getting Mike Alfred on, <clears throat> and he was also really good. And he was very complimentary of us, which was nice. Seeing how much he liked the podcast. Shout out, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Yep. All right, we good here? We are good. I want to say thank you to uh, well to you guys. For, uh, for helping make this podcast grow. Like you think about where it started, where it is, it's been a lot of fun. It's often been therapeutic in a, in a weird year for, for all of us. So that's been, been nice. And thank you so much to the listeners for sticking with us, for dropping reviews, for uh, making it possible for us to get a, a sponsor for, for at least a few months and, and let us get paid to actually do the podcast. That was cool. Shout out to Market Square Liquors. So yeah, I want to thank, uh, thank everyone who's, who's been a part of, of making this quirky oh, yeah. podcast, something that's kind of stuck around for a little bit. My favorite on the bench moment was our single and only Patreon show. Shout out to all our Patreon members, man. Shout out to you guys. That's who's the real heroes are. I was, I was about to fill in there. What was your favorite beyond the bench moment? <laughs> you get one to choose from. And yes, we appreciate you guys doing it 24-7. Put the kibosh on it. Um, maybe one day they'll let us live. And we'll, we'll bring you guys some other content. But until then, damn the man. <laughs> Thank you for listening to On the Bench in 2020. We'll be back in 2021. See ya. Save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.